And welcome to the 18th episode of the InfoSec Sync podcast, where we keep you in sync with the ever-changing world of information security. I'm your host, Matt Morris. And I'm your host, Nick Thomas. And give us 60 minutes, and we will keep you on top of the latest security news and help you gain CPEs while tuning in. InfoSec Sync is brought to you by VicTech. At VicTech, they pride themselves on teamwork, customer satisfaction, and providing customers with elite engineering and technology solutions. They aim to become an ever more dominant force in every area, product, or service they represent. Visit them on the web at VicTech.net. That's V-I-K-T-E-C-H dot net. InfoSec Sync is also brought to you by AllPoints. AllPoints provides a range of technology and mission-critical services within its core competencies that span systems engineering, information technology, cybersecurity, software development, as well as hardware and software integrated solutions. AllPoints, integrating personnel, technology, and services to exceed customer expectations. Visit them on the web at allpointsllc.com. And now, for the stories of the week, ending March 27th, 2015. What's, What's up, InfoSec Sync fam? How you What's doing? Up? That's our boy Vic in the background. That's Vic Tech in the back. What's Hell going yeah. on? <laughs> he, How uh, was everyone's week in information security? It was good. It was good. This was a long but fast week. It was kind of strange, you know? A lot of things going on. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We got a lot We got a lot in the pot, as they say. Right. One day it's sunny, 75, and then the next day it's going to snow. <laughs> yeah. Got to love, uh, gotta love uh, Maryland here. So, um, yeah, are we ready to get into it? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. All right, so Twitch. You got a Twitch? Yeah, Twitch targeting botnet. What? Yeah. What, what? So the Twitch targeting botnets use infected PCs to inflate viewer audiences. So with video streaming site Twitch, which is paying lucrative wages to celebrity gamers, it was inevitable, inevitable that botnet for hire services that used hacked computers to fraudulently inflate viewership was going to happen. So, like sports, watching other people game can be as addictive as, addictive as gaming yourself. According to a report published Friday by security firm Symantec, underground markets and in some cases sites with open web hosts, uh, several services promising to generate large and uh, large viewing audiences on Twitch and other streaming sites. Such service claims that each infected computer can be commandeered to open five separate streams carried on selected broadcasters' Twitter channels. So to keep owners of the compromised computers in the dark, the streams are hidden and muted. Premium services are offered, um, and they have automated chatters that interject users' comments live during the streaming. And an ad uh, for one one for hire Twitch botnet um, was up there. We'll, we'll post it up so you guys can see it. So um, while many broadcasters stream their gameplay online as a hobby, some have managed to turn it into a well-paid full-time job, uh, Symantec researcher Lionel Payet uh, wrote. Over the past few years, this business model has grown sharply, uh, so it is unsurprising that scammers are piggybacking on the industry in a parallel underground economy. So... 
gamers get swatted while streaming before thousands of viewers. So incidents of so-called swatting pranks appear to be increasing. Botnets that drive fake viewers are just one of the ways criminals are targeting game playing streaming. Um, in Ars, uh, Ars Technica reported last month, professional gamer Joshua Peters found about 10 gun-toting SWAT team members at his door as a thousand viewers looked on. The swatting attack was carried out by someone who made an emergency call to police and falsely reported that a gunman had a gunman had killed somebody in Peter's house and was still inside. What? The docu- <laughs> The call was doctored so that the gunshots were heard on the call. Oh. And as Ars Technica reported, denial of service attacks were sometimes aimed at game servers used by celebrity players who broadcast live video stream with their ga- gaming prowess. By taking the servers down, the griefers um, deprived the gamers of valuable revenue or stream. So one fake viewership service has prices that range from 30 for 100 views and 40 chatters to 160 for 1,000 views and um, 400 chatters. A rival service claims to offer customer support and help setting up the bots. There is no indication um, how many broadcasters are using these services or what percentage of Twitch user accounts are actually bots. Wow. That's cool. So I guess you could use the same type of thing for like YouTube. Like YouTube views and stuff like that. Pay pay someone to get you views and stuff? Yeah. I mean, aren't people doing that for like Instagram and Twitter followers as well? Yeah, there's Twitter... There's Twitter channels that do that. I get stuff all the time. Hey, I'll do this for you. Yeah, that, that's crazy. So somebody has actually turned this into a like a lucrative business um, to, to try to get this going. It's pretty interesting, to say the least. So, uh, yeah. Actually pretty smart. Yeah. Pretty enterprising, right? And we didn't think of this. I, <laughs> <laughs> and the, the funny thing is they have like a customer service to set it up and have, have you call back. Um, to, to get help setting up the botnet service. Uh, I think that's hilarious. I think of the one commercial, uh, USA Prime Credit. Uh, hello, it's USA Prime Credit, Peggy speaking. How may I help oh, you? Oh, yeah, and this is the fat dude? Yeah, that's that's what it like. Uh, <laughs> it's not Jake from State Farm, right? So I, I thought that was kind of funny. So uh, What are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? <laughs> khakis. Khaki, khaki, khakis. Khaki. Car keys or khakis? Well, it depends. You from Boston is car keys. <laughs> you from Maryland is khakis. All right, so um, you want to get into the next one? Sure. The noose around the neck of the internet's most widely used encryption scheme got a little tighter this month with the disclosure of two new attacks that can retrieve passwords, credit card numbers, and other sensitive data from some transmissions protected by secure socket layer and transport layer security protocols. Both attacks work against the RC4 stream cipher, which is estimated to encrypt about 30% of today's TLS traffic. Cryptographers have long known that some of the pseudo-random bytes RC4 uses to encode messages were predictable, but it wasn't until 2013 that researchers devised a practical way to exploit the shortcoming. The result was an attack that revealed small parts of the plain text inside an HTTPS encrypted data stream. It required attackers to view more than 7 million separate encryptions of the same data. That was a high bar, particularly given that the attack revealed only limited amounts of plaintext. Still, since the researchers demonstrated the attack could decrypt HTTPS-protected authentication cookies used to access user email accounts, Google and other website operators immediately took notice. Now, 
Researchers have figure out, figured out refinements that allow them to recover RC4 protected passwords with a 50% success rate using slightly more than 67 million encryptions, a two-order of magnitude reduction over the previous attack used to recover secure cookies. The exploits laid out in a paper published last week titled Attacks Only Get Better, Password Recovery Attacks Against RC4 and TLS, work against both basic access authentication over HTTPS and widely used IMAP protocol for retrieving and storing email. A second exploit targeting RC4 was devised by researchers from security firm Imperva and was presented Thursday at the Black Hat Security Conference in Singapore. The attack uses new ways to exploit the invariance weakness, a key pattern in RC4 keys that can leak plain text data into the ciphertext under certain conditions. The weakness first came to light in 2001 and led to the fatal exploit against wired equivalency privacy technology used to encrypt Wi-Fi networks. Given the age of the invariance weakness, Imperva researchers are dubbing their new exploit the Bar Mitzvah attack. The security <laughs> of RC4 has been questionable for many years. In particular, its initialization mechanisms, Imperva researchers wrote in a research paper that accompanied Thursday's Black Hat talk. However, only in recent years has this understanding begun translating into a call to retire RC4. In this research, they follow the 2013 RC4 researchers and show that the impact of the many known vulnerabilities on systems using RC4 is clearly, clearly underestimated. The bar mitzvah attack require, requires adversaries to sample about 1 million RC4 encryptions to infer a credit card number, password, or authentication cookie. The known weakness exploited involves a flaw around in one out of every 16 million RC4 keys that leads to structures in the least significant bits of the key stream. The attack is subjected to a significant limitation. However, since the leaky plaintext is contained only in the first 100 bytes of ciphertext. Despite the limitation and the challenge of sampling so many encryptions, the attack may be enough to drastically reduce the cost of doing an exhaustive attack that guesses passwords, credit card numbers, or similar data. Rather than try every possible combination, the bar mitzvah attack allows attackers to hone in on much smaller number of candidates. The growing body of attacks that defeat SSL and TLS encryption are only one threat facing the system millions of internet users rely on to encrypt sensitive data and authenticate the servers. In 2011, hackers broken into Netherlands-based certificate authority DigiNoter and minted counterfeit credentials for Google and other sensitive web properties. Earlier this week, shoddy practices at an intermediate certification authority known as MCS Holdings allowed its customers to obtain unauthorized certificates for several Google addresses. Poor practices on the part of Microsoft also led to the discovery of misuse certificates on two separate occasions. The TLS protocol has two significant phases. The first handshaking phase uses asymmetric encryption to negotiate the symmetric encryption keys to be used by an email or web server and the connecting end user. During the later record phase or record phase, the parties use the agreed upon keys to encrypt data using either the AES block cipher or RC4 stream cipher. 
The two attacks unveiled this month, combined with the exploit disclosed in 2013, are a strong indication the security of RC4 cannot be counted on for much longer and should be phased out in favor of alternative algorithms. Retiring RC4 is proving a challenging proposition. A 2011 attack known as BEAST, short for Browser Exploit Against SSL slash TLS, targets an encryption mode known as CBC or Cypher Block Chaining, which is present in most algorithms except for RC4. After BEAST was demonstrated to pose a credible threat to TLS protected data in transit, many experts recommended website operators opt for RC4 to blunt the threat. That advice is no longer sound, now that RC4 is under attack as well. Imperva researchers say web app developers should strongly consider disabling RC4 in all their TLS configurations, and tech-savvy end-users should disable RC4 in their browser settings. In February, the Internet Engineering Task Force submitted a request for comments, prohibiting the use of the RC4 cipher. Use of RC4 has shrunk from about half of all TLS traffic in 2013 to about 30% today, but eliminating it altogether may take years. Hanging in the balance is the security and confidentiality of millions of internet users. RC4 was already looking nervously towards the cliff edge. Kenny Patterson, a Royal Holloway University of London professor who helped author last week's research said, as well as the 2013 research it built on. He wrote a book and a blog published last week, and we're gonna post that on our website. He said, our work pushes RC4 a significant step closer, leaving it teetering on the brink of oblivion for SSL slash TLS. After all, attacks can only get better. What do you think about that, Vic? Well, I, I think RC4 has been around for a while. Um, According to this article, I was looking at dates back to 1987. Time for a change, huh? It might be time to uh, re-engineer. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes uh, it looks like this thing, this, uh, it, I guess it's a fast stream cipher, uh, but uh, it's been beaten up here in the last couple of years. You said the um, the usage of it went down to like 30%? Yeah. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Um, I think it's about time. But they did say it's going to take a while for it to go, to go away altogether because, you know, some systems are still using it, and that's money as well. Yeah, that that is crazy. Um. You know, just change the whole configuration. It's uh, sky's the limit with with these onboard computers with the cars. But you, um, you talking about you flashed the one on your Tundra? I'm getting ready to. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Till so, like the newer version? Yeah, we have to flash it, and it'll require premium fuel. So, um, so then that in order for me to run the supercharger effectively. So, so in any case, um, that should be pretty interesting. Yeah, so um, I'm a little bit of a gearhead too, um, but typically, you know, ECUs are hex. So when you actually look at them, they're they're hex. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, man. But your other car, you don't even have an ECU in that thing. Oh, the, the Civic. Oh man, he's gonna bring it, that one it's up. A, it's an EG hatch, man. <laughs> I'll tell you what, dude. This thing is like 
It's it's the best car you'll ever see. If Joe Dirt had a vehicle, this would <laughs> this would probably be. It, it's got a Hemi. It's got a Hemi, man. <laughs> Footprint gas pedal. Um, yeah, you remember that time we had a uh, G Dizzle? Yeah, it was. Well, this is a '93 Honda Civic HB hatchback, three door. So it's um, an LX roll up, no DX roll up windows. So I use it as a golf cart, really, for work to to ride between buildings. Uh, um, so it's just kind of convenient. I don't have to worry about it. But you, you uh, must work on a big campus. Yeah, I do. I have my golf bags in the trunk. Uh, heck yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so Matt, Matt and I probably when we sit in it, uh, pro- it probably looks like a clown car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably does. But uh, yeah, that thing actually, you know what? It is OBD one. So yeah, it, it does have it does have an ECU. Yeah, but you can do the paperclip trick in that one. Yeah, paperclip, and just recently, I just uh, I know this is gonna sound funny. I'm not, I'm not one of those rice boys, but uh, uh, hell yeah, he teriyaki boy. boys. We're the teriyaki boys up in here. But the the exhaust had broken on it, and um, <laughs> after that was the original exhaust. It was uh, ninety three. How old is that? Twenty something years. <laughs> 20, yeah, man. Twenty years old, and the original exhaust. So uh, Matt dropped me off, and I said, Matt, I hope they put like a OEM back on it. It well, was not OEM at all. So this next, thing was a Magnaflow. Yeah. They, <laughs> Stainless steel with a three-and-a-half-inch tip. The tip was the, as big as the yeah, <laughs> dang hatchback. It has a cantaloupe exhaust on it. <laughs> so, yeah, dude, you remember that one time we had the one guy? We stuffed him in. <laughs> we were giving somebody a ride, and we put him in the back. Dude, it fits three people comfortably. We can vouch, we can vouch for that. Yeah, I think he was a little smaller. I think yeah. he was doing jumping jacks in the back seat. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I don't think his feet touched the ground. Oh. <laughs> No man, that's that's wrong. But no, with the paperclip, with the paperclip trick, he could touch the ground with the paperclip. Yeah, <laughs> with the paperclip trick. No, but with the car, you guys um, got me looking that up now. Yeah, the way it's set up, just look up paperclip trick, and then it lowers uh, the car by two Civic. inches. Just type in paperclip trick Civic, and it'll come up. But basically, to check the, uh, you can check the codes of the car, uh, diagnostic trouble codes (DTCs). By using a paperclip, there's a connector that's in the passenger side, um, kick uh, like the little um, you do this with that? Like kick cover. No, it's it's a, literally a connector, and there's there's a, a piece you can buy from Honda to use, but typically you can just use a a paperclip, loop it around. It's just a loop, so when the car turns on and sees that looped, mm-hmm. it'll spit out the codes on the cluster for you. Snoop a loop. Oh, so you hacking it? Yeah, man, that's how we do it on this show. I'm surprised we haven't talked about. It. Has anybody hacked into these uh, the ECUs, or have they made them? Yeah, no, they had uh, they had a couple talks at uh, DefCon and Black Hat um, about it, and I think it was a Ford Escape and a, a Toyota Prius, and they were actually able to get onto the CAN bus and uh, uh, sniff the signals and replay the signals. So, like for example, it would sniff the signal for when you brake. And then they could replay that signal on the network and cause the brakes to engage. Wow. Really cool stuff. And just another... Poor uh, Toyota. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just, what well, was Ford, too. They had the Ford... Ford well, they call es- it Escape. For yeah, Escape. <laughs> <laughs> you got to escape the escape. So, no, yeah, it was pretty scary. Like, they could turn the wheel, too, because um, it, it has electronic power steering, so it has a sensor that sits up 
where the steering wheel is and a servo that's actually on the power steering rack and it you know the signals uh it's yeah so it takes your turn puts it into a signal for the it's magic basically that's what i'm getting well the good thing about my 93 civic is um it doesn't have that doesn't have electronic power steering well i had it's other than it keeps well it's got it's got the um the mexican no manual yeah mexican hookup what is manuel (laughs) power steering and manuel brakes oh my gosh y'all are too much all right, let's get into this story. So, <laughs> speaking of the paperclip trick, which allows you to step on the ground um, or reach the ground, uh, Android hacking bug may allow attackers to install password stealers. Oh, I don't no, know. Vic. Vic, you better just get rid just, of your phone, man. Just get rid of your phone. You know what? We I've never had any of these. No, that's because you don't know about it. Just go back to your no, phone. man. You don't know about it. Do you have TCB dump on that? <laughs> Do you have some way to capture the PCAP and then dump it later? No, I don't do that either. Yeah, man, you got a three roll running on that flip phone? <laughs> no. Yeah. No? No, I got Ticketmaster on there, though. Oh, see? <laughs> look, now, now you're telling us your apps. All right, so roughly half of all Android handsets are vulnerable to a newly discovered attack or hack that in some cases allows attacker to surreptitiously modify or replace seemingly benign apps with malicious ones that steal passwords and other sensitive data. What, what? So the Android installer hacking vulnerability, as it has been dubbed um, by researchers from Palo Alto, works only when apps are being downloaded from third-party app stores or when a user clicks on an app promotion advertisement hosted by a mobile advertisement library. Technically, it's based on what's known as time-of-check-to-time-of-use vulnerability. Affected devices fail to verify the app being installed at the time of use was the one that the end user approved during the time of check which occurs when a user approves app permissions such as network access or access to the contacts database. The bug involves the way uh, the system application called Package Installer um, installs app files known as APKs. So um, Palo Alto said, a vulnerability exists in the process because while the user is reviewing this information, the attacker can modify or replace the package in the background. Um, verified with Android OS source code posted in AOSP, which is the Android Open Source Project, it shows that the package installer on affected versions does not verify the APK file at time of use. Thus, in the same t- in the time of use, i.e., after clicking the install button, the package installer can actually install a different app with an entirely different set of permissions. One scenario for exploiting the vulnerability involves an attacker using a benign-looking app to install a malware in the future. A second scenario uses the same weakness to mask true permissions um, an app requires. In both cases, targeted users can end up installing apps that are vastly different from the ones that are approved during the permission process. The vulnerability has been patched in Android version 4.3 revision 0.9 and later. But Zoo from uh, Palo Alto warned that um, some Android 4.3 devices remain vulnerable. By Google estimates, uh, estimates that accounts for 49.9% of the handset that the company monitors. Palo Alto has released a scanner app that will indicate if a give, uh, given device is vulnerable. People using vulnerable devices should steer clear of third-party app stores and use Google Play as their sole source of apps. Absolutely. I like that app. Absolutely. 
So when are you getting an iPhone? Uh, I get back to you on that. I don't think it'll ever happen. So a malicious user exploited the somewhat open submission structure of Steam's Greenlight section over the weekend to briefly hide malware links in cloned versions of legitimate game pages. Polygon reports that a Steam user going by the handle BlueBunny14 posted copies of pages for five games to the Steam's Greenlight section over the weekend. The cloned pages copied the text, screenshots, and videos of existing Greenlight games, including Melancholy Republic and The Maze, to look exactly like legitimate titles seeking attention in Steam's fan voting area. But the cloned versions of the pages also included links to purported beta version links for the games that instead linked users to what Polygon calls a known Trojan. After being posted Sunday, the malicious links were reportedly removed by early Monday and the cloned game pages themselves reportedly removed by Monday afternoon. Community members alerted us of the situation over the weekend by flagging in the content, said Valve's Doug Lombardi in a statement. Our community moderators responded quickly by removing all malicious links from the fake greenlight material, and then we banned the submissions. We are taking further steps to deal with anyone involved in posting the links. Wow. We'd like to thank those who reported the issue in addition to our community moderators, and we encourage everyone to report any suspicious activity in the future by using the flag icon located throughout the Steam community. Steam Greenlight launched in the summer of 2012 as a clearinghouse, allowing the community to vote on game concepts and in progress projects it would like to see offered for sale on Steam. But the section was click quickly flooded with spam submissions for fake and offensive listings and misleading, misleadingly sourced clones of copyrighted and trademark games. Wow. So, um, that kind of segues into the next story, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, why don't you cover that one too? Is Valve locking out poor developers or just imposing order? To cut down on the noise of these fraudulent submissions, Valve instituted a one-time $100 fee for Greenlight developers in September of 2012. It was obvious after the first weekend that we needed to make some changes to legitimate to eliminate pranksters while giving folks in the community the ability to focus on their kind of games. Valve UI designer Alden Kroll told ARS at the time, while that fee apparently didn't stop Blue Bunny 14's malicious submissions over the weekend, it will likely slow down the user from continuing to post more malicious links under different accounts. Open app marketplaces like those on many smartphone platforms are often played with fake listings purporting to be popular games and software, sometimes hiding malware behind the legitimate-seeming facade. Uh-oh. Since its launch in 2003, though, Steam has cultivated a reputation as a more carefully curated marketplace of the best of the PC gaming marketplace, without risk of vert viruses or other malware. Steam's curated image that has been diluted somewhat in recent years, though, as the number of games available on the service has skyrocketed, doubling in the last 18 months to encompass over 4,000 distinct titles, over 3,200 submissions have garnered enough users' votes to be officially greenlit by Valve. In the last two years, and over 570 of those games have been officially released on Steam. So Steam uh, seems to be where it's at with 
all these games and all these uh, illegitimate apps and games. Wow. Steam it up. Steam it up. All right. So uh, let's see what else we're going to get into today. Oh, Hilton. I like the Hilton. Yeah, but you're not going to like this. Well, maybe if there's a breach that actually gives me extra points, then I'd be happy about it. But <laughs> know, why right? they keep stealing from me? Yeah, so I got, I got. How am I supposed to know? Yeah, <laughs> we got an app for that, right? So, Hilton website flaw lets hackers hijack any honor member's account. Yes. So, <laughs> dude, that means your points could be gone too. I don't really have too many you don't points. Have too many points. Yeah, every time I uh, book a hotel room and then I go to use it, and it's got these blackout dates. Oh yeah. Maybe that keeps getting blacked out because somebody else keeps blinkety blink. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Hilton Hotels and Resorts has patched a uh, hole in its website that um, will let anyone with a Hilton Honors account hack another simply by knowing or guessing a nine-digit number. This we already we already discussed this months ago. Yeah, remember? Yeah, rem- back. So, I was able to guess Nick's. Yeah, it was easy. It was just all ones. All ones with a zero at the end. <laughs> He's, you know, his license plate's in binary. Yeah. So, um, all an attacker had to do, according to security expert um, Brandon Potter and J.B. Snyder of um, the testing firm BankSec, was log in to any Hilton Honors account. After some sort of HTML content and reload the page, uh, reload the page. The story was broken in an article published on Monday on Krebs on Security. Krebs wrote, "After that, they could see and do everything available to the legitimate holder of the account, such as changing the account password, viewing past and upcoming travel, redeeming Hilton honors points for travel or other hotel reservations worldwide, or having the points sent as cash to prepaid credit cards or transfer to other Hilton H honors accounts." And the H is for whole. So the vulnerabilities um, also expose the customer's email address, physical address, the last four digits of any credit cards on file. Um, R says they saw this vulnerability in action after getting giving Snyder and Potter their own Hilton Honors account number, and seconds later seeing screenshots of them logged into my account. What? Well, their account. <laughs> So hours after the author alerted Hilton of the discovery, Hilton Honors temporarily stopped allowing users to reset their passwords. The flaw they discovered now appears to be fixed. Um, Hilton says, Hilton Worldwide recently confirmed a vulnerability on a section of our Hilton H Honors website, and we took immediate action to remediate the vulnerability, Hilton wrote in an emailed statement. As always, we encourage Hilton H Honors members to review their accounts and update their online passwords regularly as a precaution. Hilton Worldwide takes information security very seriously, and we're committed to safeguarding our guests' personal information. So Snyder said the problem stemmed from a common web application weakness, uh, CSRF, or cross-site request forgery. And this uh, type of attack... Um, occurs when a malicious website, email, blog, instant message, or program causes the user's web browser to perform an unwanted action on a trusted site for which the community (laughs) is uh, currently authenticated. The CRSRF flaw was uh, doubly dangerous because the Hilton site didn't require logged-in users to re-enter their current password before picking a new one. Double H-hole. Making matters worse, triple H-hole. A pin reset page on the Hilton 
website readily told visitors whether a specific nine-digit combination was a valid account number. Attackers could have used the page to generate a list of valid account numbers and then accessed each one using the CSRF vulnerability. Ironically, the vulnerability was discovered through a recent um, Hilton campaign that awarded 1,000 free award points to anyone who changed their online password prior to April 1, after which uh, the change was becoming mandatory. April Fool's Day? Yeah, April Fool's Day. I bet you if you changed it, you don't get any points. No, not on April 1st because that's April Fool's Day. So you got to change it before April 1st. How am I supposed to know? So, Nick, what do you think? No comment? No comment. Okay. So the next story, support Dell system detect tool put PCs at risk. This specific subject was already talked in mid-November 2014 when it was discovered and reported to Dell, which patched it in 2015 of January. But it's uncertain if the fix closed all the holes. The faulty application, it's called, quote, Dell System Detect, and is used by Dell computer owners when accessing Dell support website for the first time. The main purpose of the tool is to detect the product in use by the client and providing the drivers for the hardware. Tom Forbes, a security researcher, had already last year communicated to Dell the fault provided by the software, doing for that a reserve engineering of the software, concluding that the program installs a web server and listens on port 8884. Dell's website sent JavaScript requests to the local server to communicate with Dell System Detect. Before being patched, the software was tested by Tom Forbes, and he did an interesting discovery. Dell System Detect tested if the website sending the JavaScript request had Dell in the URL before doing something with the request. Obviously, this made on purpose by Dell to prevent other websites to communicate with the program. But this check was faulty because you could match every URL containing the term Dell. This means that the program would accept www.dell.com, but it would accept also other domains containing the word Dell, such as www.myfakedell.com. As consequence, it's easy for attackers to create new domains and take advantage of this flaw. Besides this, the software could be used to force the system to download and silently install malicious programs. Forbes discovered the way to trigger the download and auto-install function and creates a Python script that generates valid authentication tokens. So in conclusion, we can make anyone running this software download and install an arbitrary file by triggering their web browser to make a request to a crafted local host URL. This can be achieved a number of ways, and the service will faithfully download and execute their payload without compromising the user. Tom also explained that Dell patched the software in 9 of January of this year, blocking the original exploit. But Tom couldn't check how the authentication is made in the new software version, because now Dell obfuscated the program's code. That makes reversing it very, very difficult. Let's close the post by using the comment provided by Tom Forbes. And this is, quote, So in conclusion, we can make anyone running this software download and install an arbitrary file by triggering their web browser to make a request to a crafted local host URL. This can be achieved a number of ways, and the service will faithfully download and execute their payload without prompting the user. I don't think Dell should be including all this functionality in such a simple tool and should have ensured adequate protection against malicious inputs. 
After contacting Dell and discussing the issue with their internal security team, they pushed out a fix that included obfuscating the downloaded binary. While I cannot be sure, I think they simply changed the conditional from if Dell in referrer to if Dell in referrer domain name, which may be slightly harder to exploit but just as severe. There is now also a big agreement you have to accept before downloading that specifies what the software can do. Dude, I'm getting a Dell. Wow. That's crazy. You so crazy? What do you think, Nick? Well, all I'm going to say is that I'm happy that Dell put a fix in, and that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I'm happy that they put a fix in too, but, you know, it's one of those things where convenience and security, you got to pick one. And I'm happy that you both are happy. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, go to the next one. All right, what's what's the next one about? Recently, the security firm Silence had discovered a vulnerability, CVE-2015-0932, affecting the Ant Labs in-gate device, which are popular internet gateways for visitor-based networks like the ones that we find in hotels and convention centers. Okay. So the exploitation of the flaw gives an attacker full access on the file system of Ant Labs in-gate device. The experts explained that it is possible to obtain a remote access through an unauthenticated rsync daemon running on TCP 873, so TCP port 873. rsync is a Linux um, OS utility that is used for file synchronization and file transfers. So the complete access allows an attacker to execute code remotely and enable a hacker to backdoor the AntLab's endgate device, upload an executable, or add new authenticated root-level users. So Silence says, and I quote, once the attacker is connected to the rsync daemon, they are able to read and write to the file system of the Linux-based operating system without restriction. When an attacker gains full read and write access to a Linux file system, it is trivial for them to turn into that or turn that into a remote code execution. So, is this how um, the Hilton Honors site got hacked? Someone went went into the in-gate device Hilton in-gate device I, I they were staying at. Well, these are <laughs> two completely different domains. I, I don't think they're linked, but it, it is, I mean, it's anything's possible. Um, but the attacker could upload a backdoor version of nearly any executable to the system, then gain execution control, or simply add additional users with root-level access and a password known to the attacker. Once the file system access is obtained, the endpoint is at the mercy of the attacker, states Silence. So the attack is uh, very easy to run. Bad attackers just need to find available rsync shares and list files in, in the root. Unfortunately, the attack against uh, users connected to hotel networks and to Wi-Fi provided in convention centers is a common practice, typically conducted for espionage purposes. So what you'll see is like when you go to a conference or something like that, you have to be very careful and mindful because once you connect to those, it could be a targeted type of attack where somebody's trying to steal information or man in the middle. There could be a lot of things going on. So in November 2014, the experts at Kaspersky Lab published a report on the Dark Hotel APT group, which was conducting an espionage campaign, which is ongoing for at least four years while targeting selected corporate executive uh, executives traveling abroad. According to Kaspersky, threat actors behind the Dark Hotel campaign aim to steal sensitive data from executives while they are staying in luxury hotels. The worrying news is that the hacking crew is still active. The list of uh, targets uh, include CEOs, senior VPs, top R&D engineers, sales and marketing directors from USA and Asia, traveling for business in the APAC region. So the uh, Dark Hotel uh, hackers target their victims while accessing the hotel network. They wait until the victim connects to the internal Wi-Fi, providing the room number and surname to the login. 
Once logged in, because that's very identifying information right there, the attackers trip um, the company executive into downloading and installing a malware that pretends to be an update for legitimate software, such as Adobe Flash, Google Toolbar, um, or Windows Messenger. The flaw discovered by Silence could be exploited by such kind of APT and doesn't require a particular effort for the exploitation. I say, and I quote, um, an attacker exploiting the vulnerability in CVE 2015-0932 would have the access to launch Dark Hotel-esque attacks against guests in the affected hotel's Wi-Fi. Targets could be infected with malware using any method from modifying files being downloaded by the victim or by directly launching attacks against the now accessible systems. Given the level of access uh, that this vulnerability offers to attackers, there is seemingly no limit to what they can do. That was in the Kaspersky report. <coughs> so, Silence scanned the internet's IPv4 space for ant labs and found 277 which could be exploited remotely. Majority of them were in North America, but some in Asia and Middle East and Europe. Users have to apply patches released by Ant Labs, and other mitigation strategies could be put in place to block unwanted rsync processes via a TCP deny command on um, port 873 on those devices. So those are two things that you can do, either patch or a TCP deny um, on a port seven, uh, 873 on those devices. And just don't use those things when you stay in hotels. Just use your phone because your phone's already encrypted. Yeah. Well, well you, uh, you could you could get to the level of GSM spoofing, but that requires another level. Or use somebody else's phone. Yeah. <laughs> or, or or if you, I mean, because they had um at DefCon this past year, DefCon twenty two, um, they actually had uh. They had a kind of proof of concept for some HP um, researchers, and basically what they did was um, they had a GSM mini cell, which GSM mini cells used to be very expensive. Um, GSM, um, to a certain extent, is a is it's not a stateless protocol, but it doesn't have a lot of authentication and authorization baked in, so it kind of goes to the nearest tower um, to route the traffic. So they were able to set up and spoof a GSM mini-cell and have traffic routed through them. And they were able to change text messages, uh, sniff text messages, sniff web traffic, a lot of cool stuff. So what previously was about 150000 to buy, now they did it for $3,000. And Matt knows this because he owns one. <laughs> I don't own one. That's too expensive for my blood. But... You know, I thought it was very interesting seeing that. And then also, I mean, I'll share a story. Somebody that I know. <laughs> Hold on. His cell Technical tower just fell down. Yeah, my cell tower just <laughs> fell down. So somebody that I know actually ended up on the wall of sheep at DEF CON. And we were kind of wondering why. And we went through some things. And um, we had gone out to dinner. And they. Charger. <laughs> and they sent a text message with. Uh, pictures, like pictures taken during the day. Let me guess, you were in one of them? No, okay. I was not. To someone else. And um, basically, they sent it from the phone, and two empty bubbles went to the other person where the <laughs> picture should have been, and the pictures ended up on the wall of sheet. So that shows you that at, at, at some... Well, they didn't. the pictures didn't end up on the wall of sheet, but I think you know we did see... 
um, some things pointing to that um, that they may Their have been SSID. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was pretty interesting, but you know, in the same in the same breath, you, you have to definitely watch out. Um, you can't trust the integrity of a network when you're out, you know, just doing your thing out in public. So uh, you definitely got to watch that. So this next story is health records are the new goldmine for hackers. According to top CSO news website, security experts predict that health records are worth more and easier to get than credit card data. The rise in health data breach headlines may not necessarily suggest an increase in actual data breaches. It's possible that organizations are just getting better at discovering that they've been breached, so it gets more attention than it would have in previous years for credit card frauds. Healthcare offers attractive growth opportunities for cyber criminals looking to steal personal information. Such opportunities are giving tight complexion to credit card fraud. Is this really getting as big as credit card frauds happened in recent years? Every security consulting organization making point on forget credit cards now. The hot new data for the modern bad guy is the electronic health record, which is not only worth more in the black market, but is easier to get. The latest breach reported by the health insurer Anthem follows a year in which more than 10 million people were affected by healthcare data breaches, including hacking and accidents that expose personal information like losing a laptop, according to a government database. The numbers, compiled by the Department of Health and Human Services, show that last year was wor the worst for healthcare hacking since 2011, when more than 11 million people were affected. The rise may be linked to businesses clamping down after massive breaches at Target and Home Depot. That has made it more difficult in some cases for cyber thieves, so they've turned to healthcare systems. Experts say healthcare companies can offer many entry points for crooks, and once criminals get personal information, they can use it for more extensive and lucrative schemes. If someone steals your credit card and home address, they might be able to buy something, but you can usually get that locked down quickly, said Tony Anscombe, a secret a security expert at AVG Technologies. With medical records and a social security number, it's not so simple. Health data also commands a higher price than credit card accounts in the marketplace for stolen information, said Al Pascal, a senior analyst at Javelin Strategy and Research. Medical identity theft is an ongoing worry as cyber criminals and credit card frauds looking to capitalize on a bigger payout may continue to target the healthcare industry for access to patients' protective health information. Such theft has now claimed more than 1.8 million U.S. victims, granting hackers the ability to gain medical services, procure drugs, and defraud private insurers and government benefit programs, according to the Experian report. Medical identity theft is a serious threat that needs to be prioritized by healthcare organizations, regulatory groups, and consumers. There is no single solution for fraud prevention, meaning we must take a collaborative approach to solving the issue. Industry and government must work together to develop holistic strategies pertinent to the fight against fraud, and consumers should take an active role in advocating for system-wide reform. Once Anthem discovered the data breach January 29th, company officials contacted the FBI and retained Mandiant, a cybersecurity firm, to investigate the attack and review the insurer's defenses. The intrusion occurred in early December, 
or possibly earlier, according to a second person briefed on aspects of the case, who also spoke on the condition of anonymity. The FBI said it is investigating the breach, which was reported Thursday by the Wall Street Journal. Hackers were able to grab some of what experts call the most lucrative and damaging types of stolen personal data. Social security numbers are an attractive target because they are tough to change and crucial to government, financial, and medical use. A set of complete healthcare insurance credentials sold for $20 on underground markets in 2013, 10 to 20 times the price of a U.S. credit card number with a security cord according to Dell. Medical information includes key identifying details that could be used to create a fake patient that could fraudulently bill programs such as Medicaid. What we've seen in the last few years is that attackers have realized the economics of healthcare data that are very, very attractive. The link to Chinese hackers, which was first reported by Bloomberg News, means the attack could be part of a larger campaign, experts say. The Chinese government hackers targeted healthcare providers and insurance companies in the past six months for social security numbers and personal identifying information as well as healthcare information. That employee data was stolen in the Anthem hack could indicate that attackers might be preparing for another attack, which would allow them to access internal systems that they were otherwise unable to reach. The healthcare industry has struggled to fortify itself against cyber attacks. Hospital groups and health insurers have often grown through buying smaller regional firms with different technology and no overarching security policy. Many also use older computer systems that have proved more susceptible to attack. Experts at the security ratings firm BitSight said last year that the healthcare industry's cyber defense showed signs of serious illness, posting a bigger increase in security incidents over the previous year than industries such as finance and retail, but with continued failures to quickly respond to threats. A health record has everything, financial account information, social security number, and health information, so protection is very much required. So what say you, Matt? Nothing much, man. It's been a, a good episode. We've uh, covered a lot of content. That's crazy. I'm going to have to make sure uh, the next time I go to the doctor, I get it in hard copy. I don't <laughs> want nothing done electronically. Uh, so Blue Cross Blue Shield better be Blue Cross and in a folder somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyways, I think we need to wrap this show up. What do you think? Yeah. I hear that music coming. Uh-oh. Yep. Oh, yeah. There it is. You may have not noticed it the past few episodes, but it's back now. You want to get in on this, Vic? We're, uh, we're getting out of here, man. We're out. All right. With that, we're out. See you next See week, next and week. that's how you stay... In sync with InfoSec Sync.